I can only imagine what it was like for Jathan to be there in the courtroom, to, to hear the testimony, to have had this young boy, 10 years of age, come in with the detectives and, and to have a lineup of the different suspects and to have that 10-year-old, this is before the court case, but to have that 10-year-old point to Jathan and say, that's the man. That's the man that, that murdered the 70-year-old woman that stabbed her in my neighborhood. That is the one. I have a question for you. What does the word judgment mean to you? How do you feel? What are, what are some of the emotions that come to your mind when, when I say judgment? Anything? There's not, not necessarily a wrong answer. Just how do you feel about the word judgment? Making right. Making right. Well, that's a good view of it. Judgment. Anything else? What do you think about when, when somebody says judgment? Emotion. Concern. Some concern about it. Any other emotions? Hesitation. Hesitation. I like that. Well, we are looking at Revelation chapter 14. And have you memorized the first angel, at least the first portion of the first angel's message yet? Revelation 14, verse 6, tells us that there's this angel flying in the midst of heaven. He's talking with a loud voice, having a message for every nation, tongue, tribe, kindred, and people. The everlasting gospel, the good news, which is not... We're going to get this. The good news, which is not good advice. It is good news about what Jesus has already accomplished. And Revelation 14, 7 goes on to say, He said, Fear God. And give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come. So, so now we're getting to the context of, of why we especially need to fear God, why we especially need to give him glory, because the hour of his judgment not will come, not is coming, but has come. It's here. The moment has arrived. And sometimes when we think about judgment, this is a terrifying thing. It's, it's a thing that creates anxiety. It's a thing that creates fear in our hearts. And, and we begin to have that fear that in actuality repels rather than draws. But friends, the everlasting gospel is true of the judgment just as true as it is of the rest of the three angels' messages. Let me tell you a little bit more about what happened just two days ago with Jason Kendricks. See, just two days ago, Jathan walked out of that prison that he had been in for 25 years from 1995 until 2020. And he said, you won't imagine what it's like to have been in prison for 25 years for a crime that you did not commit. You see, since 1995, they have gotten some DNA evidence. There's, there's now the ability to do more with DNA. They've had some eyewitnesses who have stepped in, who... Who, who helped with this, this further evidence. And they also discovered some things. This 10-year-old boy has actually said, no, 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 I never actually recognized his face. Here's the deal. When the detectives called me in, I asked, is, is the murderer one of these guys? And they told me yes. How did the detective know that? And so as he's going through these faces and, and he even chose a different one, and they're like, no, that's not the one. And then he kept going until finally he said, this is the guy. So just two days ago, 
Jathan, through something called the Innocence Project, was set free as he received judgment. The judgment that he had deserved all along. The judgment that he was innocent. He was exonerated. You see, there's different ways to look at judgment. And, and it can make an entirely a huge difference what the eyewitness account sees. What we see with our eyes when it comes to a case. This is from the Innocence Project, which works to free people that have been wrongly condemned through DNA evidence especially. It says, mistaken eyewitness identification, often as a result of poor or biased lineup procedures, have contributed to approximately 69% of the more than 375 wrongful convictions overturned by post-conviction DNA evidence in the United States. 70% of the time almost, it's because of an eyewitness account that was inaccurate. 375 cases have been overturned by DNA evidence. And 70% of those, it was due to people thinking they saw something or saying they saw something that they didn't really see. So it's fascinating when you think about the word judgment. We're going to look at, at what is taking place in this courtroom scene that is depicted in the Bible. Go with me to Daniel chapter 7. And this gives us this picture of the courtroom scene that is taking place in Revelation chapter 14. So in Daniel chapter 7, first of all, you have this, this depiction of this, these, these beasts that come up out of the water that represent Babylon, Medo-Persia, uh, Greece, and then Rome. And then out of Rome comes this little horn power that speaks pompous words or blasphemies against the Most High and that then seeks to persecute the saints. And we've talked about this 1260-year period in Earth's history where you have the Dark Ages, where the church was misrepresenting who God was and through that was persecuting the true saints. You have 50 million people put to death during the Inquisition and the Crusades and these things. Just terrible things that now today some of the younger generation is saying, I want nothing to do with religion because that just means persecution, it means war. And they have this terrible picture of what God is not like at all. What God is actually seeking to write in the judgment. Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. Just picture this beautiful scene of God Almighty there in his courtroom scene. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands and thousands, a thousand thousands ministered to him, and ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. Hundreds of millions of, of intelligent creatures surrounding him. And the court was seated, and the books were opened. So here you have this courtroom scene, and here is God Almighty, and surrounding him are all of these witnesses there. In the court, and the court was seated, and the books were opened. Now notice the focus of this, verse 11. I watched them because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. This blasphemous power, this misrepresenting God, and that is persecuting God's people. I watched till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So the purpose of this judgment was for what? To condemn those who are misrepresenting the character of God. 
Go on, verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one which shall not be destroyed. Hallelujah. The story of the judgment is Jesus being given the authority to rule in the universe. And, and it specifically goes on to say this. Look down in verse 21. It says, I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. So this, this Antichrist power is prevailing against God's people as it did throughout the Dark Ages. As we've seen later, you have a replication of this through the, the land beast, which we talked about in Revelation 13, and you have the United States eventually making an image to this same exact type of system. So you have this horn making war against God's saints and prevailing against them, and then verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Is judgment good news or what? Judgment is actually to be made in favor of the saints. Judgment is there to vindicate. You know, I looked up some synonyms that helped me a little bit. Synonyms are related words to judgment. If you look in Webster's, Webster's Dictionary, here are some synonyms or related words to judgment. Finding. Uh, a finding is, can be a, a synonym. Conclusion. Determination. Opinion. Verdict. Deliverance, diagnosis, resolution, last word, persuasion, impression, or perception. When I hear some of these words, there are some different emotions that come from me. When I think about deliverance, when I think about perception, when I think about a finding, when I think about a revealing, when I think about these things, a little bit different emotion tends to come up than when I think of judgment. For some reason, that word has been used and abused. But that's not the way judgment is depicted in the Bible. Just look with me at Psalm chapter 9, one of the most beautiful places where, I shouldn't say the most beautiful, but a beautiful place where it depicts God as judge. The Psalms have a lot of uh, statements about judgment. If you want to study this later on, just look up judge and judgment, those two words in the book of Psalms, and go through it, and you'll find some fascinating things there about judgment and, and about God as judge. But in Psalm chapter 9, starting in verse 7, it says, But the Lord shall endure forever. That's good news. And then verse, it continues, He has prepared His throne for judgment. So, so God prepares His throne for judgment in order that His, His government may be established forever. And then it goes on to say, and those who know, oh, sorry, verse 8, he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall administer judgment for the peoples in righteousness. See, he's stepping up to put a stop to the mess that we see in this world today, to render judgment on behalf of people, to put a stop to injustice. Verse 9, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. A refuge in times of trouble. You know, there are some people who are worried about the time of trouble because the judgment comes before the time of trouble. But this tells me that he's setting up his throne 
in order to judge, in order to be a refuge for you in the time of trouble. Is that good news? It's incredible news, and we need to get rid of the fear of God that drives us away and get the awe of God that draws us to him. Verse 10, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. If only we'll seek him, he will not forsake us. Incredible news about the judgment and what it is all about. But here's the thing. It's not just about exonerating the saints. This talks about how judgment is made in favor of the saints. And this psalm talks about how he makes judgment for the peoples. But there's something even more important that I want you to walk away with about what the judgment is all about. And we can talk about a lot of aspects of the judgment, but I think this is probably the most important aspect. Think about this. The omnipotent, all-knowing God of the universe who we learned knows the hairs on your head and cares about every detail of your life. He knows your thoughts. He knows every, every feeling you've ever had. Why does he call hundreds of millions of intelligent beings to surround him and open up books that, in the Bible, it records how uh, we, our lives basically are recorded in these books in heaven. So, so why would he open these books before the heavenly universe? Does God need to make some sort of decision? Is, is he having a hard time deciding and he's called in help to know whether, let's see, should I take them to heaven or should I not? I need some help deciding. I'm having a hard time knowing what's right here. I don't think we should put God down to that level. But God, in the judgment, he comes and he opens the books to make a revelation of the decisions that he is going to make because... He wants for the entire universe to see how incredibly good he is. You see, the judgment isn't so much about us as it is about who he is. It's the hour of his judgment. And in the end, what will see us through in the judgment is making a correct judgment about God ourselves. This will become a little bit more clear as we look at further Bible text, but look at Psalm chapter 9 and verse 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made. In the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. So it says, look, the reason that anybody is going to be caught and sink down in the end is they will have been reaping what they have sown. Revelation 13 says it this way, Those who kill with the sword will be killed with the sword. Those who lead into captivity will be led into captivity. But verse 16, notice this. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hand. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. It's by the judgment that we come to recognize how awesome our God is and how beautiful he is. It's, it's the judgment is a, a revelation, an unveiling, a, a revealing of, of what God is up to in our lives. Look at it this way. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 5. I love this. Isaiah chapter 5. Now this may quite possibly be one of the most beautiful pictures about judgment. Isaiah chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is a song that is being sung by God the Father to Jesus. 
is well beloved is the way it is in poetic language here psalm chapter 5 and verse 1 says it this way now let me sing to my well beloved the song of my beloved regarding his vineyard and now this song gives a picture of a, a parable that jesus later goes on to use himself it says my well beloved has a vineyard on a fruitful hill he dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. Do you see what he's saying here? Hey, we made this vineyard. And we planted good grapes there. And now it's producing wild grapes. Judge between me and my vineyard. Judge me. And notice what he says. This next line is crucial. What more could have been done to my vineyard than I, that I have not done to it? This is the beautiful thing that's going to come out in the judgment. God is going to reveal to every creature and eventually, later on as this judgment is confirmed to you and I, he's going to reveal to each and every human being that he has done absolutely everything possible for every single person in order to save them. You see, God has made it really clear. 2 Peter 3.9, he says that he's not willing that any should be lost. He's already made the decision. If you would allow it, he would save you. And if everyone would allow it, he will save them. That's already what God wants. And he has already accomplished that. And here he's saying in the judgment is going to be, could I have done anything more? The judgment is going to look at God and we're going to say, wait, could God have done anything more in order to save? You know, I think that this is pictured well in what is used sometimes to look at the judgment scene. And that is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Revelation in Genesis chapter 18. When you have God coming to Abraham and he visits him and he says, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? I'm going to let him know the judgments that I'm about to do. And then he begins to tell Abraham what's going to happen in Sodom. That the outcry of the oppressed in Sodom has come up before him. And Abraham begins to say, hang on. I know lots there, but what if you find... 50 righteous people in Sodom. Won't the judge of all the earth, won't he do right? And God says, oh yeah, I'd spare it for 50 people. And he keeps going down. How about 45, 40, 30? Finally he gets down to 10 people. God, I'm sorry to keep asking this. Maybe it's asking too much of you, but if there were just 10 good people in that city, would you spare it? God says, yeah, of course I would. And then God goes and the angels go to Sodom. And do you remember what happened with Lot and his daughters? How did they get out of the city? The angels take them by the hand and they drag them out of the city in order to save them. You see, God was even better than Abraham wanted him to be. He said, I'm going to save anyone that's willing. He sent Lot to go and announce to people that judgment is coming. And he's like, hey, let's Get everybody out of here possible. And here you have this, this song being sung in, in Isaiah chapter 5, and, and God saying, judge me. 
Is there anything more that I could have done for my brother? It's good news for you and I, because you may have loved ones who aren't in contact with Jesus. Or maybe this morning you're questioning yourself whether you're savable. And the good news is that God won't stop in doing everything possible to save you. And the only thing that can stop him is your free will to choose for him or against him. In the end, the judgment comes down to your judgment. Will you choose him or will you not choose him? You know, it, it matters what the judge is like. How many of you have ever seen, um, there's a, a, a program about a judge in Providence. Have you ever, any of you ever seen that before? I don't know if it's a TV program or just on the internet short snippets, but I heard something about it. It's called Caught in Providence with Judge Caprio. This is in Providence, Rhode Island. Now, this judge, he's like the chief municipal judge there in Providence, Rhode Island. And he works with different traffic court cases and different things like that. And, and they film him because of the type of judgments that he makes. I remember the first one that somebody shared with me about this girl who came in. And she was there for her second time with a, a, a parking ticket. And the judge is like, hey, why didn't you show up to court before? You didn't do this. And then, but then... As he's about to send her away, she's in tears, and she tells him one little more piece of the story. And he's like, oh, I didn't know that part. I'm so sorry. I didn't recognize that. And then he asks the bailiff, is that true? She's, he said, oh, yeah, that's true. He says, well, then we're going to take care of this case for you. He's, he's got a lot of respect and a lot of people that come and watch him because of the way that he treats people. I just read about a 96-year-old man who came in before Judge Caprio, and he sat down, and his charge was that he had been speeding in a school zone. And the judge said, you know, what do you have to say to yourself? He said, well, I'm 96 years old. I never drive fast, ever. And he said, besides that, the only time that I ever drive is to take my son, who has cancer, to go get his blood work done. And that happens every two weeks. It's the only time I get in my car and drive, but nobody else can take my son to go and get blood work. And so I took him to get blood work, and that's when I got pulled over. <laughs> and Judge Caprio said, man, you represent what America needs to be like. Case dismissed. And he ruled judgment in favor of this 96-year-old man. And he doesn't always let people off, but he always gives justice in a way that's compelling. And Psalm chapter... 9 and verse 16 says that God is known by his judgments. By the way that he commits judgment, we come to recognize how incredibly good he is. Jesus talked about this a number of different times and a number of different ways, but I want you to go with me to John chapter 3, which is one of the most common verses that we all know. John chapter 3 and verse 16. And we're going to read the following verses because here it uses the same word for judgment and it unpacks for us a little bit what that judgment looks like. John chapter 3, starting in verse 16, says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You boil this down. Jesus is saying, God is for you. God is on your side. God wants your salvation. 
Then verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn, or you could put the word judge there, to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God's entire purpose in all of salvation history, and specifically in the judgment, is your salvation. That's God's goal, is to save you. And he is a powerful person to have on your side. God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And before we continue reading with verses 18 and on, you think about the stories with Jesus. When Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda and told him, hey, take up your bed and walk. It was a Sabbath day and he's walking along carrying his bed. And and so, of course, the, the Jews come along and they say, hey, who told this guy to carry his bed on the Sabbath? And then finally they figure out that it's Jesus. And so they come to Jesus and they're wanting to kill Jesus because of this miracle that he's worked on the Sabbath. And in John 7, verse 24, Jesus says, You need to learn to judge with righteous judgment. If only you judged with righteous judgment. Another similar time in Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field, and his disciples are, are picking off parts of the grain, and they're eating them as they go along, and and the Jews look at him and are like, hey, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? And Jesus says in, in Matthew 12, verse 7, he says, you need to learn. He says, basically, he says, you need to go and read again what God says, where he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If you had recognized this, you would not have condemned the innocent. You see, Jesus wants us to recognize that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. That God is a God who is in the process of saving, who wants to do everything possible to make people's lives better. The entire lie in the great controversy has been against God. The one that needs to be exonerated, the one that needs for us to give him the proper judgment is God. Because from the very beginning, Satan himself who was Lucifer, has said God is unfair, God is unjust. His law, which represents his character, is, is just there to restrict you and to keep you from freedom. When in reality, God only wants what's best for us. No good thing would he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So back in John chapter 3, verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe is judged already because he has not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. And this is, now think about that. The judgment comes in having not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now does this just mean, hey, I need to say, I believe in the name of Jesus Christ and I confess him. The name of God, the name of Jesus represents more than just an ascent, or just saying the words. The name Jesus it's Joshua from the Old Testament, which means Yahweh saves. When the angel announced his birth, it was with the words, you should name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And you should also call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the glory of God, his character being revealed. And when we believe in that, we do not come into judgment. Jesus is so incredibly clear about that. He who believes in him is not judged or condemned, but he who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather 
than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. This is, this is the condemnation, Jesus says. This is the judgment, the same word that's used in Revelation 14, 7, which is the word crisis. Crisis in the Greek. This is the judgment. The whole judgment is this. Light has come into the world. God's goodness has been revealed. Jesus has showed up and said, this is what I am like. This is what God is like. And men love darkness rather than light. They chose to turn their backs on who Jesus really is. Crisis, that word, basically means coming to a culmination, coming to the ultimate point. And in first service, when I asked what comes to mind when you think of the word judgment, one person said finality. And that's really the picture of the judgment. God is bringing to finality in every heart the picture that they're willing to have of God. And some are going to run to darkness and some are going to turn towards the light. So here's a key thing. Sometimes when we thought about the judgment, we think that we need to focus on our darkness in order to get to the light. The key thing is to focus on the light. And as God brings to mind the darkness in your life, to confess it and say, God, give me more light. Focus on Jesus and allow him to transform you, to cleanse you by being focused on who Jesus is. This is the only way through in the judgment. That's how he wants to deliver us. That's how he wants to get us through. That's how he wants to bring us to a final safe place of refuge in the time of trouble when we are fully settled into the truth of who Jesus is and what his loving character is all about. The clearest place that this is revealed is in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Jesus uses very similar language to what is given to this first angel in saying that the hour of the judgment has come. Revelation, uh, John chapter 12, and starting in verse 31. And as we go to read this, I just want you to think about for a second, maybe you have a child, maybe you have a, a family member in your life. As, as I think about my, my little girls, what I want them to know about mommy and daddy is that we're trustworthy. You know, I want them to obey when we ask them to do something, but I want them to do it because they know that we have their best in mind. It was fun just yesterday for the first time. I, I try to tell my girls how, how awesome their mom is because their mom, I'm not going to say too much because she get embarrassed, but she's an incredible mom. And so just yesterday I was saying, girls, you have the best mommy? That's right. She just said it right now. So I just said at breakfast, you have the best mommy. And Abby said, ever. And now they both say it. Livy says, ever. And Abby says, ever. Every time I say, you have the best mommy, they say, ever. And I want that to keep sinking in that this is who their mom is so that they will come to trust her. When she asks them to do something, they're like, of course I'll do what mommy says because she's the best ever. It's the same way with God. 
Obedience only comes as we recognize that He's the best ever. When we come to know the love that He has for us, when we come to know who He is, suddenly, of course I'll do what God says because He's the best ever. He's only ever done good in my life. And Jesus has revealed that God is the best ever in one particular moment in His life preeminently. John chapter 12, verse 31 says, Now is the judgment of this world. You want to know what judgment looks like? Okay, so this is the context. Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Talking about Satan. Now is the time when Satan and all of his lies will be banished. Do you want Satan and his lies banished from your life? Now is the judgment. Now the ruler of this world will be casted out. Verse 32, and I... If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. If I, if I am lifted up, he said this just moments before going to the cross. When he would be lifted up and he said, this is what the judgment looks like. The judgment looks like God coming and laying down his life, willingly taking all of the guilt, all of the shame, all of the results of our sin upon himself on the cross because he loves you that much. Because he's not willing to live without you. Because he would rather that you have a happy life than that he even exist were it possible. And so Jesus laid down his life. And on the cross was revealed not just for you and I, but for the entire universe. You know, there... In some versions, it will supply all peoples will be drawn to myself. But you'll notice sometimes that's in italics because that's not there in the Greek. It just says all will be drawn. You know those hundreds of millions who are surrounding the throne in heaven during the judgment? They most clearly see who God is based upon the cross. Paul says this multiple times. In Ephesians and Colossians. But the watching universe recognizes through what took place on the cross. Most clearly as they saw, hey, that is God in human flesh. And as he is being spit upon, mocked. As Satan is doing everything to inspire people to put him to death. He responds with nonviolence. He responds with love. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. The universe says, that... We judge that that is what it's all about. That love is what it's all about. Now, this is the judgment, Jesus said. If you want to know what the judgment is all about, look to the cross. And that is incredibly encouraging. That is incredibly hope-inspiring to see that this is what it's all about. A God who would lay down his life for you. And no wonder he can say, is there anything more I could do for my beloved? Is there anything more that I could do? In the judgment, he'll be able to say, I have done absolutely everything possible to save each and every person. What an incredible God we have. Patriarchs and Prophets depicts this about the same verse. It says it this way. But the plan of redemption had a yet deeper and broader purpose than the salvation of man. It was not for this alone that Christ came to the earth. It was not merely that the inhabitants of this little world might regard the law of God as it should be regarded. But it was to vindicate the character of God before the universe. The result of this great sacrifice, its influence upon the intelligence of other worlds, as well as upon man, 
The Savior looked forward when just before his crucifixion, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. The act of Christ dying for the salvation of men would not only make heaven accessible to men, but before all the universe, it would justify God and his son in their dealing with the rebellion of Satan. It would establish the perpetuity of the law of God and would reveal the nature and the results of sin. See, throughout eternity, the universe is going to recognize that love is what it is all about because of the cross of Jesus Christ. James chapter 2 describes how mercy triumphs over judgment, but it says specifically that we should live as those who are going to be judged by this law of liberty. And it says that we should show mercy because God will show mercy to those who show mercy. You see, the more that we recognize this loving character of God, the more that we realize who he is, the more that we are transformed into that same image from glory to glory like we talked about two weeks ago. The more that that we want to show up like Matt talked about last week. Because we know that that's who God is. God shows up for us. And so why wouldn't I show up for this person who's suffering, for this person in need? Why wouldn't I be there? And in the judgment, it's fascinating to see how Jesus pinpoints one particular thing that is going to be the hinge point for the entire judgment. In Matthew chapter 25, when he says there's a throne set up and the sheep and the goats are divided on either side. What is it that's the hinge point in that moment? He says, you have done it unto the least of me. When you were there for the one in prison, when you were there for the one who needed clothing, when you were there for the one who was hungry, who was naked, when you were there for the least of these. And and this is really what it comes to. When we begin to recognize who God is, we recognize him and the people around us. And I begin to love you because I see Jesus in you. And I begin to love that person on the street because I see Jesus is in them too. And I I begin to recognize that I am doing it for Jesus when I'm helping any person. Because I recognize that he will not stop short of doing whatever it takes to save every single person on the planet. Desire of Ages says it this way about that hinge point in the judgment. It says, thus Christ on the Mount of Olives pictured to his disciples the scene of the great judgment day. This is page 637. And he represented its decision as turning upon one point. When the nations are gathered before him, there will be but two classes and their eternal destiny will be determined by what they have done or have neglected to do for him in the person of the poor and the suffering. I don't know about you, but that makes me think about my priorities in life and where my focus is in life. Is that where I'm at? Ministering to the least of these, doing whatever it takes to ensure that everybody can see a more beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. It's what it's all about in the end. Jesus wants desperately for us to see the incredible God of love that he is and to be transformed by seeing that. But let's make it clear that in the end, Nobody's going to be glorying in themselves like Matt talked about last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to you righteousness, wisdom, sanctification, and redemption. That as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. 
nobody's going to be there saying, I'm here, I survived the judgment because of my good memory about my past and I was able to bring that to God or nobody's going to be saying because of the way that I treated these people, nobody's going to be listing any of those things. But in that moment, they'll be saying, I'm here because Jesus, because I fixed my eyes on Jesus. The last verse that we'll look at here, John chapter 4, this is too good to leave out this morning. Don't don't miss this. First John chapter 4, verses 16 and on, it says this. First John chapter 4, starting in verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Have you known and believed that love? I don't know about you, but I have to keep refreshing and reminding myself that it's actually this good. The good news is actually this good. That God is pursuing me a love that will never stop. That he actually wants to judge me in a way that that brings freedom from all the baggage in my life. This, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. As we choose love, we begin to abide in God. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. God wants you to have boldness before him on the judgment because you know the love that he has for you. He doesn't want you to have fear about the judgment, but he wants you to turn and look to the light and turn away from the darkness. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We have a tendency to look to a lot of other things to see us through in the judgment. You know, I remember a day where my dad and I went to court together. The only time I think that we've gone to court together and he was gracious enough to go with me because I was just beginning to drive. It was maybe my first or second year into driving and I had a lot of tickets and uh, accidents and I was getting letters from the DMV about that I was going to have my license revoked. So my dad was gracious enough to go to court with me. And I remember, I was talking to a friend about this, and he's like, hey, here's the deal. If you can just find one little thing that's wrong with that ticket or with the case, or if you can find just one little thing, they're going to have to let you go, and you're not going to have to worry about this ticket. He's like, okay, I'm ready. I will find my way out of this judgment. A lot of times we get to thinking like that. I know how I can get out of judgment. I can do this and I will get myself out. And so I remember as the judge called my case and he begins to read off, or maybe the the officer was reading off the ticket number. And as he's reading off this number, I'm watching like a hawk. He's going to make a mistake and I am going to get off judgment. And I'm watching as he goes through and sure enough, two numbers were off. And I said, hang on, judge. My dad is looking at me like, what in the world is he doing? Hang on, judge. That is not the number. And I said, this is the number. The judge is looking at me. Okay. He transposed two numbers. Any other points? Okay, let's keep going. Afterwards, my dad's like, I cannot believe you did that. Who told you to do that? What are you thinking? 
And I am so thankful that that day that officer still gave me a whole lot more grace than I deserve. But here's the deal. On judgment day, you can't get yourself out of it. There is only one person who is worthy, and that is Jesus Christ. There is only one way through the judgment, and that is the loving character of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the only way. Keep your eyes fixed on him and on his loving character, and he will see you through. And in the end, love is going to triumph. Love will be the only lasting thing in the universe. That's why you're going to begin to see more and more in our culture that hatred and selfishness are going to be getting more and more clear, while you're also going to begin to see love become more and more selfless and abundant in a certain group of people in the end. Great Controversy describes the last moment after the judgment has taken place. The whole purpose of the judgment is to bring us to this moment. Great Controversy, page 678, says this, The Great Controversy has ended. No longer are people trying to decide, is God good or is he not? Is he withholding something from us or not? The Great Controversy has ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness through the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that God is love. That's where this universe is trending. That is why God is working the way that he has. That is why... The judgment is here, and my prayer is that my own heart will be sealed into that loving character of God now. As we close, I wanted to have you listen to this song that I just heard recently. And I want to read the lyrics to you because my guess is you haven't heard the song before, before we listen to it, so that you get a, a picture of what's described here. It says this, After the last tear falls, after the last secret's told, after the last bullet tears through flesh and bone, after the last child starves and the last girl walks the boulevard, after the last year that's just too hard, like 2020 maybe, there is love. After the last disgrace, after the last lie to save some face, after the last brutal jab from a poisoned tongue, after the last dirty politician, after the last meal down at the mission, after the last lonely night in prison, there is love. Because after the last plan fails, after the last siren wails, after the last young husband sails off to join the war, after the last this marriage is over, after the last young girl's innocence is stolen, after the last years of silence that won't let a heart open, there is love. And in the end, is oceans and oceans of love again. We'll see how the tears that have fallen were caught in the palms of the giver of love and the lover of all. And we'll look back on these tears as old tales because after the last tear falls, there is love. Psalm 56, the Bible says he catches the tears. He stored up the tears in his bottle. One day God's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to make sense of the mess of our lives, the mess of this world. And it's through the judgment that he'll forever steal love. as the one reality that will beat throughout our hearts and throughout eternity one thing that really matters, as revealed preeminently in the cross of Jesus Christ.
Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Lord, recognizing what the judgment is, Lord, I pray you judge us. That you would work for our vindication, our deliverance, our salvation. God, we ask that you would do whatever it takes in our hearts to help us to see the God of infinite love that you are and that we would judge you as worthy. We'd recognize you as worthy. And we turn to the light. And as we turn to the light, the goodness of God would lead us to repentance on a deeper and deeper level day by day. Lord, help us not just to talk about you, not just to say that we follow you, but to pick up our Bibles and genuinely search for this picture of a God of infinite love and mercy and grace. So God, Fix our eyes on Jesus, I pray. Thank you for your incredible love for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.